0: Now, the, the Parsha is by Yeshev, and it doesn't, doesn't necessarily lend itself to the topic, the topic being the virtues of silence, but in a way, we'll see most of it is in this week's Parsha. Parsha is by Yeshev in many ways is kind of the low point in the entire Sefer Beratius In a way, it's really the low point. It's when things hit their their worst. This is when the worst of everything comes together. The first part of Ayeshev is the brothers selling Yosef into slavery. Yosef going down into slavery. They wanted to kill him. They sold him into slavery. The story of Yehuda with Tamar. Another low point, the temptation of Yosef with Asia's Potifera, and then the imprisonment of Yosef, and he's left hanging in the dungeon of Egypt. The parsha ends with uh, a cliffhanger. It ends off saying Yosef is left dangling in the dungeon over there with nothing. In fact, next week's parsha actually begins by him keits, on keitsom lachoshech. Hashem finally called an end to the darkness. So Parsha's Bayeshem in that sense is very dark. Next week's pars- Parsha finally begins with the first flickerings of light. Interestingly enough, it always comes out on Hanukkah at the dead of winter. Where it's the same idea. Kates Somla Choshech. is the way the message begins next week's Parsha. Me Kates. Kates Somla Hashem calls an end to the darkness. So the darkness is this week's parsha. Vayeshev is the darkness. It's left dangling. The last words: Vayzochar Saramashkim as Yosef. The saramashkim doesn't remember Yosef. Vayishka and he forgets it, forgotten, lost and forgotten. So Vayeshev ends really at a at a tremendous low point. That it ends with. Yosef forsaken in a strange land forsaken alone desolate, destitute forlorn with no hope the Basha doesn't begin on such a high note either one of the worst tragedies of the Jewish people as we'll see is the sale of Yosef into slavery yet in spite of all this darkness that the Medrash mentions here, no, that's not true. in spite of all the darkness that we're saying the Medrash mentions over here, there is a life being born. Kate Sama which is next week's theme, Parshall Kate's, really begins in the darkest darkness of Parsha's Vayeshef. In fact, let's take a quick look at the Medrash that mentions that. If you look on the right, the third piece, the third Medrash on the right, VaHibo Esahi, referring to after the sale of Yosef, after the fact that Yosef was, originally they attempted to kill him, they then Changed their mind and sold him instead. You then have on page ninety-two. If you look back on page ninety-two, they bring back the Kesonas Pasen the bloody cloak of Yosef to Yaakov, and Yaakov looks at it and says, "Torov Torah, Yosef, my son Yosef has been torn to pieces." And Ya'akov then tears his garments by Ikra Ya'akov, Sin Ya'akov then tears his garments by Yosem's sack, and he places sackcloth by Yisabel Al-Bino, Yomim rabin. And he mourns. He mourns his imagined death of his son for many, many days. In fact, he never really consoles as the next Pasuk says <coughs> his entire family attempts to console him by Yaakov refuses to accept any consolation. and He says, Ki dal ovil I'm going to go down to the pits mourning the death of my son, say and Yaakov is left crying. And then, he then says the next Pasuk and the People that purchased Yosef sold him to Potiphar Mitzrayim. And then the next "By hebo says, and it was at that time. By Yehuda, of Yehuda goes down from his brothers and he finds himself a wife, again seemingly a strange wife. And then he had the tragedy of his sons and the story of Yehuda consorting with his own daughter-in-law, thinking her a harlot. This is really the low point. Yosef is so. Jacob's crying. He refuses to be consoled, He says, "I'm going to die, mourning." And it ends off. He's crying. Yosef's crying. Yehuda's crying. Or in the words of the Medrash, take a look at the Medrash. and it was at that time. Rabbi Shmuel Bar Nachmi Ki onochi odati et Hashem says, "I know the inner thoughts." Shvatim hoyu asukin b'mchirasa shel Yosef. At this juncture, we find the terrible tragedy of the shvatim <inaudible> selling Yosef. The Yosef hoyu asuk b'sakul b'taniso. We find Yosef himself in a state of of mourning and fasting. Over his fate. Reuven, we, we haven't mentioned yet. Ruvein who was, who was in a way, felt the sense of, of being ostracized by his father, for what he did in last week's Pasha with the with villa with the bed of Yaakov, was also trying to do tshuva and was. In a state of mourning and fasting. And Yaakov himself was mourning in sackcloth, fasting, crying. And Yehuda is going to find himself a wife. But again, by Yehuda, as the Pasuk indicates, he went down. He left his brethren. And during all this time, in the darkness, of VaYeshev, as we said next week, Katesh Olachoshek. In all this darkness, Hakadosh God was busy, Berei Oro Shemelach Mashiach, creating the light of Mashiach. As the pasuk says, VaYibayisaii <speaking in> VaYeret <Hebrew> Yehuda Yehuda goes down. He calls the pasuk from Yishayah B'Terem Tochil Yolda, before the oppression began already it was born. Before the first oppressor was even born, namely Paro, God already was creating the light of the final redeemer of the world of Jewry, of Kali Yisrael, Mashiach. So in the midst of this depths of the darkness, God was creating light, the light of Mashiach. Okay. That's Parsha's Vayesha in a nutshell. A very dark period a kind of a low point in Saif and What does this have to do with our topic which I said is the virtues of silence. Good lesson to learn. The virtues of silence. Let's go back now and I said this is going to be the flip side of of what we learned about two weeks ago in our Thanksgiving share. In fact, it's really a continuation of the medrash that we spoke about regarding Thanksgiving. Let's go back to the top medrash and go to the second section of the same medrash which we elucidated last time, two weeks ago. We spoke about the first part of the medrash, which is the part that we've mentioned at other times and that's the more understandable part. But again, based on what this this um, drusha that I heard from Rebbe Aaron Feldman, who in the name of the going gives an explanation, we'll have a little bit of a shot in the second part of the medrash. Again, I'm attributing some of it to the going. I'm not sure where what the going says and where what Rebbe Aaron Feldman said begins and where what he said ends, and I begin. But it's based on that. These are ideas that I that I called from from that and I expanded upon so if you look now going back to that medrash leah tofsa plach hoidah leah grabbed out to the the spindle that's what women use to sew the tool of hoidah of thanksgiving that's why she names Yehuda Yehuda because she's giving thanks Acknowledgement. And I guess, again, with the analogy of the spindle, you start weaving, and you create a fabric. The fabric was one of hodah, of thanksgiving, of acknowledgement, of appreciation. Again, the different terms that we used when we discussed it. I said the word hoda, which... We have Bible common and bavkaziya very often. Means admission, admission of guilt, admission of debt, or admission of indebtedness. Which, from the word admission, is a small step to the word acknowledgment. From the word acknowledgment, it's a small step to recognition and appreciation. From there, you go to gratitude. Gratitude results from proper appreciation and proper recognition. You recognize something in proper perspective, you see it right, and you recognize something, you acknowledge it, you acknowledge it properly, you appreciate it, you appreciate it properly, you give thanks, and you give gratitude, which is really what a sense of indebtedness is, which is what admission is. She produces hoda, thanksgiving, appreciation, admission, gratitude. Yehuda, in this week's parsha, Yakir, Yehuda byomer tzat Where do we see Yehuda besides his name being hoda? His name is hoda, but besides his name being hoda, which would mean thanksgiving, we also know Yehuda admits. In this week's parsha, the greatness of Yehuda comes through in his admission of guilt, his public and willingness to admit to guilt, even though it puts him in a pretty bad light. By yakir Yehuda, and the word that's used for Yehuda's admission is by which we explain from the word hakora, like the word hakoras hatov, which would mean gratitude. But as we explain, hakoras hatov doesn't mean gratitude. Hakar Satov means recognition of goodness or acknowledgement of goodness or to appreciate, to have the eye of appreciation. Again, I'm using the word appreciation the way you use it when you talk about art appreciation. When you see something and you could visibly perceive it and appreciate it, that's by Yakir. That's really good, this Hakar is. The appreciation of goodness. Yehud is able to, by Yakir Yehud, he recognizes the same root of HaKar Satov By Yomer And he said She is more righteous than I referring to his daughter in Otamar Again after that incident And this of course Is really where leadership comes Because leadership is not To conquer others And leadership is not To control and to suppress And subjugate others Leadership is to control And subjugate self And that requires this very difficult step of being macker and admitting and therefore admission comes to it as a result Chazal say the Medrush says the Gemara says and we pointed it out that it's also in Targum Unculus. Targum Targumunculus says it as well in the bracha of of Yaakov to Yehuda where he says Yehuda Rashi brings it down this is already Targum Targumunculus the Gemara the Medrush says Yehuda, because you admitted to your guilt, therefore your brothers will admit and acknowledge your superiority, your supremacy, and your rulership. So therefore the word Yehuda is properly employed. It's Yehuda's admission of guilt, which brings mida Kenegir mida, that ato yoducha Achecha, that Yehuda, by you admitting, therefore your brothers will admit and accept you as their king. And again, rulership is over self. You can admit to yourself and rule over yourself. They will admit to your superiority and allow you to rule over them as well. That's the word you would, to admit. But it's also by Yaker, the admission as well as the Hakoram Hakorah David, we find, of course, wrote Sefer Tehillim, which is full of expressions of gratitude, Holu Lashem Kitov. As a prime example, Hodu Hashem—that's Hodah. Daniel, another descendant of Leah, it says, Again, from the word "Mehudah," from "Hodah," from "Hodah." So we find the descendants of Leah continued in her, in her way of expressing Hodah. Hodah is a wonderful thing. We talked about it two weeks ago, how really at the root and the essence of the Torah, you find Hakar hatov. You find hodah, Hakar hatov, at the root of the Torah itself. And as we said, the word hodah is a much more subtle term than mere thankfulness and, and gratitude. And Hakar hatov is more than just recognition of goodness in the sense of gratitude, but the appreciation and perception of the goodness which leads to gratitude. Jews have that trait, and to this day, Jews are called Jews, which is Yehuda. that's where it comes from. We're called Jews because of Judah, Judea, Judah. We are all considered to be the, the descendants of Yehuda, And Jews are called in Hebrew as well as English. Goyim referred to us as Jews. The Romans referred to us as Judeans. And we refer to ourselves as Yehudim. Yehudim, all based on Yehuda's name, which is Hodah. That's Jews. Jews are Hodah. Thankfulness, gratitude. We have developed a sophisticated sense of Hodah. This is, in a nutshell, what we discussed two weeks ago. What I didn't go to then, because I didn't really have a good pshat, but that's what we're going to do now, is the next part of the Vedash. That's Leah. What's rochel? Rochel plach shtika. The opposite. Hodor is an expression of thanksgiving. Rochel was shtika. Silence. Hence the topic of today's shir. The virtues of silence. What is this? Shilas. Leah is hodor. Rochel is shtika. What is shtika? Shtika. Silence. Be quiet. What is that? As she took upon herself the tool, the plach, the, the spindle of Shtika, and she wove from this a fabric that continued in her descendants also of Shtika, of silence. The virtues of silence. What is that? The Umdukopunel Bali And she developed children and descendants of shtika, of silence, who hide things. Masterian means keep things low-key, low-profile, and quiet. Sneeze comes from this The unfortunately explained the concept of sneus as behind this. You know, the not everything has to be exposed. In a sense, Hodor's exposure later, interestingly enough, carried that character trait a little too far because we, she was called a Yatsanis, a going outer she went out. She liked to go out. And that's why Dina, her daughter, took it a little too far. She also went out. She went out a little too far. Leah went out. Dina went out. A little too much exposure. The way that the absence is. Near. It's too much exposure. But it's expression. To express oneself openly. Hodah. Rochels bahauk. The opposite. Be bahauk. To be quiet and to be circumspect, and to, and to not divulge everything, to not say everything, to not express everything, to keep things a little bit hidden. That's sneeze sneeze is not clothing, of course it is. sneeze is an attitude. Why? It's the same thing. You don't expo- expose your flesh. You don't have to expose your soul either. You don't have to expose your flesh. You don't have to expose your all of your secrets. You don't have to expose your neshama. You don't have to expose and be ostentatious and expose your wealth. And sneeze. exposure of, of all of your wealth is in contrast to sneeze. Flashy cars, gaudy clothing, jewelry, furnishings, all this flash and, and gaudiness and, and elaborateness That's the opposite of Tznius. Tznius is when it's all held in within. That's Ruchel. That's the way the Mufarsha and Rashi and others explain the idea of Shtika. But it's more than that. Where do we see that Ruchel had Shtika? So, it doesn't explain where we see Ruchel had Shtika. That she took the virtues of Shtika of silence. We'll get to it, but let's take a look at her descendants. Binyamin, her son, Binyamin, is considered also... In fact, he's really very much a silent person. Throughout, throughout, say, from Horatians, he seems to be pretty quiet. You don't really hear anything from him. Very few words are even spoken of in his name. He wasn't so young. I know, you think of him as a little boy. No, he was young. The older older brother... I know, but by the time he comes to four, by Yosef, he already has 10 children. So he couldn't be too young at that point and yes, he was the youngest of his brothers, but his oldest brother, let's put things in perspective was about 7 years older than him wasn't like 15 (laughs) years older 8 years was um, how old could the oldest one have been from him he marries Rochel at After seven years, Rachel has her first child a few years later. It had to have been under ten years. Okay, maybe from the oldest to the youngest. Whatever. It wasn't such a major difference. But yes, it's true. Payam was the youngest. But very little is quoted in his name in the Torah. He had the, um, the stone in his breastplate. That represented the Yemen was called the Yoshfe. and interestingly enough it was the Yoshfe that <coughs> was lost that had to be replaced when they went to Doma Bendisina to purchase a stone and his father was sleeping over the keys to get to the stone and next year the Poradum was born Doma Bendisina what well, was Chazal originally coming to search they needed a stone for the breastplate. Which stone was it? The yoshpe, which is Binyomin's stone. Chazal Dash, the word Yeshpe. He has a mouth, but he held it in. Yodeya Shal Yosebei It's his brother, Rachel. The other brother sold his brother into slavery. And he knew. It, and he never divulged it. He kept it in. It was a hard thing to keep in. That your brother sold. Because he determined that that this is part of the divine plan. Although he didn't understand it. He felt it was part of God's doing. He didn't divulge. Yodei ab ma'o. He knew about the sale of Yosef. He didn't say anything. One of the great descendants of, of Binyamin was the first king in Israel. Not so much as really given him in terms of recognition, but he was considered to be the greatest person at the time, until it was taken away from him and given to David. First king is Shoal, sent of the Binyom. Shoal, interestingly enough, was such a modest person. And again, his modesty comes through. That when he was made king and anointed by Shmuel and Abhi, and he goes back home and his uncle says, so what did Shmuel tell you? What did he do? He tells Shmuel, he tells his uncle, he told me that the donkeys that we were looking for are found. He went to look for some donkeys. And Shul tells him about the donkeys. He says, but you're going to be king. And God is anointing you as the first king in Israel. Shaul HaMelech, who was physically a um, very handsome person. Physically was a very um, you know, awesome looking person. He was a head and shoulders above everyone else. He was tall, handsome, and great. And God anoints him to be the first king of Israel. Don't forget he didn't know. He couldn't possibly know that he was going to lose it at the time. And it was only because of later things that he lost it. In fact, even when he lost his kingship, it was because of too much modesty, as Shmuel tells us. Why do you listen to the people? Don't you realize you're a leader? You have to take charge? You can't always listen to the people? (laughs) Shmuel says Shmuel. If you're small in your own eyes, but don't you realize that you're the leader of Israel? He was too modest. He was too much pleased. So he comes back, and his uncle says, so what did Shmuel tell you? The donkeys are, are, are found. You were just anointed king of Israel. So the pastor says, He couldn't, or he didn't bring himself to telling his uncle, I'm the king. He waited, he bided his time. He didn't didn't divulge that. He didn't talk about it. He kept it in, kept it hidden, kept it withheld. Again, his modesty was like that. His modesty was too much. You know, we said earlier, Leah took the Hodah expression a little too far. Shaul took modesty a little too far. Esther Esther was a descendant of Shaul, and she also became queen. What does it say about Esther? Ein Esther Mordechai told her keep it, keep it quiet, keep it secret. Again, Esther's modesty was, was, was also amazing. It's interesting. The word Esther in the Torah is employed to mean hidden. Esther, puppet. Right. I will hide my face says Hashem Esther minator minayim where do we learn about Esther? Haster, after and she's considered a descendant of Sarah who was also known for her virtue of modesty right? What do we say famous medrash in the beginning of Chai Sarah it says that Chai Sarah was 127 years says Rabbi Akiva in the Medrash how come Esther the descendant of Saur ruled over 127 provinces because of Saur Saur was 127 years old Esther rules over 127 provinces what's the connection so we've said many times many different uh, not many different shot we've said other shot as to what the relationship is between Sarah and Esther. What's, what's shot in that medish? But now I'd like to say a Nupshat. i like to say shot. What was Sarah's virtue? Sarah's virtue was she was in the tent. Exactly. The angels say to Avram, where is Sarah Yishtacha? They say, Where is Sara, your wife? She's in the tent. She's withheld. She's hidden. And Rashi points out over here that the reason why they asked was, and they knew where she was. They knew where she was. They didn't have to ask. But they want to endear her virtue of Tzniyaz to her husband Avraham. And she was a Tznuwa. In order that Abram should appreciate and love her even more. Tznuwa. Sarah's virtue was one of Tzniyaz. Esther was a Tznuwa. For success, she—I mean, she didn't want to go willingly to Achashverosh, and when she was there all that time, she didn't ask for the adornments and the blandishments, and she didn't ask for any of the stuff. She wanted to go plain as is—no makeup, no cosmetics, no music in the background, no fancy things, just the bare minimum. No ostentatiousness. Bahal hidden. Her name represents hidden on Esther, Esther, Esther's virtue is snius, to be hidden. And Esther, Magedis Molaratov, she doesn't speak. She doesn't divulge. She keeps it a secret. She keeps it a mystery. A mysterious woman, she keeps it a mystery. A descendant of Rachel's Shtika. That's the message. What is the virtues of silence? First, let's talk about where was Rochel's silence. Rochel begins the process of Shetika. For this, let's take a look at the other Medrash. This is now the Medrash on the left. Va'yizkara lukimes Rachel. Rachel was barren, and Hashem finally remembers Rachel's virtue, and decides to grant her a child, being Yosef. Yosef was born on account of which virtue? The virtue of silence. Hashem remembers Rachel, her virtue, and as a result, Yosef is born the virtue of silence. What does he remember about her? Her silence. Yaakov worked for seven years for Rachel. They knew each other for seven years. And Yaakov was expecting to marry Rachel. At the last minute, last night, Lavin substitutes Leah for Rocha. Rocha could have protested. She knew about it. She knew about it. They're giving. She's losing her husband. She's losing her husband to her rival, to her sister Leah. She knew about it. Yodas v'sheisekes, and she holds it. Still, quiet. She knew what's happening. And she could have and should have protested. That's what we would have done. What do you... I mean, Yaakov would have protested. Yaakov did protest. The next morning, when Yaakov discovers it's the wrong woman, he protests. What about Rachel? Why did she protest? She's silent. Chazal takes a step further. Not only was she silent, but she gave over the signs and the signals to her sister Leah. And even that night, she stayed in the same room under the bed. And she talked, to talk whenever she had to, to pretend that Leah is, is her. You can imagine what it means to hold back under those conditions. It's not like she didn't love Yaakov, she did marry Yaakov. So to give her sister as a rival to her husband, when love was doing it with the seat, I mean... Truth is, we, we don't understand that. Why? Why did she protest? I mean, one like, would think that that's the right thing to do. Right. Yeah. Good. Whatever it is, she didn't. She didn't. She didn't protest. Interesting. What she thought was going to be her undoing became her salvation. Shtika became her salvation. Why is that? Because what would you and I have done? We would have protested. And if we say, by right, I'm entitled, this is my husband. This is the one I want to marry. What are you doing over here? If it it have embarrassed her sister, it would have caused a, a fight galore and everything else. But at least she would have had her husband. She she had had her husband, she would have married Yaakov. What would have happened then? Nothing. She would have been barren her whole life. And Torah says, Hashem now remembers her and opens up her womb. Why? Because of this virtue. Without the virtue of silence, she would not have had children. What she thought was her undoing, giving away and being silent and still, was ultimately what her salvation was. Her salvation was this. And now she has a child, Yosef. That became her saving grace. Let's just finish the medush. but the in she brought a rival in. And that's what was ultimately that she it was Zoika to have a child based on that. So this is the shtika that we find by Rochel. Yes. Let's not get it. Let's understand. You're saying that Rochel can see only because well, what, the, the members are saying that. that well, that's our point. What, what we do you do? We say that we stop after that, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and stop. Uh good question good question I, again we don't know what the concept final would have been with the way it turned out the point is we have to understand that yes it's good to be brave it's good to be bold and there are times you have to stand up but the idea of standing up for yourself the idea of be a man as a virtue and being selfish and self-centered look up for number one is not a virtue yeah, in the power. she color. wasn't standing up for herself she was standing up for Yaakov she was yeah. saying no no, no no she listen believe not me I don't think anybody doubts this. What she did was total self-sacrifice and required a tremendous amount of bravery. There's no question that she wanted to marry Yaakov. And she felt that she had to marry Yaakov. To hold herself back is the greatest act of bravery that I can imagine. To conquer oneself and to be silent in the face when you want to blurt out, No, Yaakov, it's me under the bed. Get rid of her. That's what she should have done. So there's no virtue in if she would have done that. The virtue is to work against oneself and to do what you think is right for whatever reason. is. Again, I'm not going up. I didn't say that if she would have protested I would have had tithes on her. I'm saying whatever she felt she was doing it not for selfishness. She wasn't doing it because she wimped out. She wanted to marry Yaakov. She could have protested She obviously was doing something that she felt was right which later on proved to be the case. For whatever it is I don't know what the cheshit is. Let's not go into her cheshit. What she did was a heroic act. There's no greater heroism than you can imagine. In fact, the meditation continues. This is when lost love and it comes to the, um, the gu'ula, and all of the others are going to <coughs> pray to Hashem. This is the only saving grace for calling That Rachel says, God, I allowed a rival in my house. I allowed a rival. What are you punishing the Jews for? Avodah Zarah. You, who have greater strength than I, have to be willing to hold back, hold back your anger, even though the Jews brought, brought rivals, Avodah Zarah, into your house. Avodah Zarah is always compared to, to adultery, where, you, where you're unfaithful. So the Jews were unfaithful to you. look what I did. And Hashem says, that's cold. Rav that the men should in, in year me up. I mean, everybody makes the the that's the famous song that everybody sings it's all the virtue of Rachel's Shtika that she was all the other excuses that they gave for Kali Hashem doesn't accept but this one Hashem has to accept ultimately she proved to be right and it becomes the saving grace of Klal so yes Shtika And not necessarily standing up and being a man is not necessarily the virtue. Strength is strength. True strength. And... One second. So now, as we see, what Rochel did was shtika, but I'm pointing merely out now the fact that it was to her benefit. It was to her benefit because the matter says that the merit that Hashem saw in her to give her children was this merit. What would have been, otherwise, again, I can't speculate what would have been if. If God would have made the world a different way, what would have been? But what it does tell us is that this is the virtue that Hashem saw and granted her children. That's what it does say. So apparently, what seemingly was working against her ultimately worked to her benefit as well. As a result, the idea of shtika, of silence, in the face of tremendous questions is what we're talking about over there. So what, what Ravana Feldman said from the beginning was that the Shtika is Bitochim. The concept of Bitochim, faith. And that becomes now based on this we understand one more thing and that's what I'm going to try to elaborate upon. We find in the beginning of the parasha back on page 89 Rashi comments on the first word, by Yaakov, Eretz, Mugure, And Yaakov dwelled in Eretz Canaan. Says Rashi, we just went through all of the Ace of Descendants. All of Ace of Descendants. Now we're going into Yaakov. So, if you look in the um, towards the bottom part of Rashi, of the first column by the parentheses, do brach tomo, who's gonna conquer be what Rashi is saying Chazal is saying it's a medrash that and it says it earlier also the same theme is said earlier when it says that after the birth of Yosef ya- in last week's Parsha, Vaishlach Yaakov says to Lovon I'm ready to, I mean I'm sorry in parasha's uh, Vayete, after the birth of of Yosef Yaakov tells Lovon it's time for me to go. It's time for me to go. So Chazal explained what does it mean it was after the birth of Yosef that he made that decision. Why after the birth of Yosef? On page 71, Pasuk Yosef, And it was when Rochel gave birth to Yosef by Yomar Yaakov Yaakov says to Lovat Let me go I want to leave. What does do with the birth of Yosef? So Rashi there quotes this Rashi, or this same Chazal here. If you look at Rashi, on the second column, four lines from the bottom. When the adversary, the opponent, the opposing force of Esau is born, that's when Yaakov's is ready to encounter Esau. When Yaakov is ready to base Yosef When Yaakov is ready with the birth of Yosef, Botach, Yaakov Yaakov was secure in HaKadosh Baruch Hu and he's ready to go back as the possibility that he's quoting refers to the fact that Esau will be like straw and Yaakov like fire and Yosef like flame Yosef is compared to the flame that will burn up Esau's kash it will burn up the straw of Aesop. Yosef is considered the adversary the the alter ego the, the nemesis maybe that's the best word Yosef is the nemesis of Esau with the birth of Yosef Yaakov is ready to go back this week's parasha the same thing by Yaakov looks at Esau what's going to destroy Esau Who, who's going to handle it all Ela told us Yaakov Yosef Yosef is going to be the one Destroy Esau says the goyim again, I'm not sure which part of the goyim which is Revar Feldman because in the goals of Esau the key factor that we need is Bitochem and Bitochem the Shtika silence the midah of Rochel, the Mida of Yosef, as we'll see her descendants was the midah of Shtika of Bitochen which is the only way to fight Esau in of in this world. I will now, that's the basic theme. I will elaborate on that. <laughs> I said I will elaborate on that. A little bit of shtika and patience can do all of us a little good. The, if you look again in this week's Parsha, you see also, the Shomar is hadavar. Shikah, wait, patience. Patience. Let God's plan unfold. Vayidom Aaron. Aaron was why He had kashas. He had what to say. He accepted the did I mean, Moshe is coming to him in the middle of the greatest celebration of the Jewish people. The Shechino came down. The Mishkan is built. All of a sudden, not of Aviu, his two sons that were the greatest sages, and Sadiqim of Khalil's two sons died, and Moshe's coming to him with time, said, what did you do? You did this wrong. And, and, and he had a lot of things to say. I didn't do anything wrong, and ultimately Aaron was right. Vayidom Aaron. Geschwigen. Schweig. Quiet. He had cautious. He didn't say anything. Vayidom Aaron. Tremendous sense of... of of heroes, to, to hold oneself back. Everybody knows how Avraham does the akeda, And um, the akeda makes no sense. And he had many kashas to ask God. What are you talking about, Hazar, stand up for yourself, stand up to God, that's, that's the modern approach. Not only stand up, look out for number one, but even God, well, God's gonna tell you what to do? It makes no sense, God. Speak up. Affirm your, your, your rights, your entitlements, your, your sense of uh, who you are, your values. Critical thought, right? Uh, there's a school, well, a semi-Orthodox school that we teach our children critical thought. We don't just learn the parsha We teach them to probe and to question. Now, I, I have to tell you, criticism and thought and all these things are all wonderful virtues. But shtik is also a virtue. How's the kind of this? Know when to ask Oh, question, bro. God, you tell me it's the oh, whole No way, I'm not going to listen to you. It doesn't make sense. Avram asks his questions, but he waits. He waits till it's over. He says, now, God, can you explain to me what happened over here? I don't understand something. Explain it. But till that point, now's the time to do. I'm going to do it. And Avram doesn't ask any questions till after the Akedah. Till after the Akedah, Avram asks no questions let's wait till God's plan unfolds there's an interesting expression this is in a sense the theme of what I'm talking about over here and maybe that's the medrash notice that the medrash juxtaposes Slayer hodo and rochel shtika well in legal terms there's an expression in the gemara called shtika Right? you learned that your whole life. Shtika Which of course means that when a person is silent and someone lays claim to him, is the equivalent of an admission of guilt. If you're asked something, so in, in, in American law, I have the right to remain silent. That's because of self-incrimination. Jews, Jewish law doesn't accept self-incrimination anyway. Except in monetary matters. But you're not thing self-incrimination. You can say whatever you want. I'm guilty, I'm guilty, I sinned, I committed the crime. It doesn't matter. Jewish law doesn't recognize self-incrimination in certain areas. But in the areas that it does recognize self-incrimination, shtika, khodo, silence, in the face of an accusation, is an admission. Shtika, silence, Kohoda is like admission. Of course, that's a legal term. What I'm trying to now is take this is to a, to, a, to a different level, to what we're discussing. The Hodah of Leah, which we talked about two weeks ago, and what a wonderful thing it is, and I put into a nutshell in the beginning of the class, what we talked about the Hodah, Rokhal had Shtikah, Shtikah ka they're both tremendous virtues, equal virtues. And Leah was Hodah, and Rokhal is Shtikah. When do you do Hodah? When do you do Shtikah? So there's a Pasek, that we recite on Shabbos to recount the glories of God in the light of day but faithfulness in the night in the darkness in the darkness we said it was darkness it was night the night represents ghosts especially goes Edo. How do we see that? Well, firstly, we all know how Yaakov Vinu corresponds to darkness. The almost Avram made chakras, the shining light of the sun shining forth in the morning. That's what Avram himself was. Chesed. Avram was chesed. chesed right? We all know that. Avram is the cornerstone, the pillar of chesed. And what do we say about chesed? Lahag Baboker Chazdechom. Babokir, the morning, you recount his praises. And Avram came into the world like a shining light, like the dawning of the sun. Yitzchok, afternoon. Yaakov, bamokom, Sham. Yaakov was the Meir of prayer. He was Arvis. Myra, the prayer of darkness, the prayer of Golus. Golus, the Gemara says, is darkness is lila. Olam hazeh, this world, being this world as we know it, with all of its questions and all of its darkness, olam hazeh is daimu lila. olam hazeh is daimu to the to the darkness of the night. Yaakov's adversary was Esau. Yaakov represents the goals of Edom, of Esau, of the night, the long goals of the night, the long goals of darkness and night. And what do we find? That the Sar Shal Aesop, the Sar Shal does battle with Yaakov throughout the long night. That's last week's parasha, right? Last week's parasha we have how Yaakov is left alone and in his encounter with the Malach of Esav, he's left alone with him. and the angel of Asof does battle with him all night long, ad till the morning shines. All night long they're battling, ad till the morning. And what does the angel say to a Yaakov then? Va'yomer Send me. Ki-ola Because morning has come. And what is morning a time for? Shira. As Rashi says, Ki-ola ha-shochar. ani Shira bayom. And my time has come to say shira. Because when do we say shira bayom? In the morning. By day. Lahagit baboker chazdechom. To extol the virtues and to say shira bayom. Lahagit baboker chazdechom. It's morning. And Yaakov asks him his name. And again, Lomo the angel of darkness, Shvaik, I don't have to divulge my name. The darkness, the angel of the night, the battle against the angels, one of at Zatish Yaakov was asking for a name. The name of the Gauls, Lomuzet at Why talk? Let's not talk. The angel of Gauls, the battle of Gauls, the battle of the night, the night of Esau, is Lomos at Hashmi. That's the answer. You asked earlier about Yosef. Where do we see Yosef? Yosef, the Gemara said, the, the, the Medrash says, was considered to be the pillar of Bitoch. Ashrayada. Fortune is the man who has Bitochl Hashem. Zayose. But because he asked the Saramashim, remember me. He said two extra words. He was forlorn and forsaken at the end of this week's parsha for two more years. You know what? Yosef, you're the pillar of Bitochl. For you, Shika, you shouldn't have said anything. We all ask the same question. We always ask the question. What did wrong? You're supposed to ask. You're supposed to stand up for yourself and do something. Yosef, you're the pillar of Bitochen. Your mother is Rachel, Shtika, Shvayim. Yosef's fault was exactly that. Why was it a fault? Only because he was the Amuda Bitochen, as the Medrash says. The Medrash says, "Ashrei the Botev Hashem, who is considered to be a true pillar of Bitochen, Ze Yosef. That's Yosef. But Yosef talked too much. What does he tell Yosef? Ayan Yosef he tells him what he's supposed to, which is, of course, the, um, the, um, the dream. But then, Yosef says, <laughs> He goes on and on. Please, please, let me free a little too much. Not enough shtika. Not enough shtika. Yosef, of course, was also a tznuah. He was also very, very much of a tznuah. And we find even in Pashas Vaikash how Yosef has to contain himself. Right? Finally, he blurts out, Ani Yosef, Ha'odovichai. But till that point, he shows tremendous restraint and self-control. Until finally, he's incapable of... He's incapable of saying it, of keeping it hidden. He couldn't hold it back anymore. But all the other times when he's encountering them, the next fashion Fashimikites, Yosef is dying to lure it out. He keeps it hidden. He goes into another room, and he goes and he says, and he cries. It says, they come to Yosef by our Yosef, by Ya'kirin. He recognizes them. But he doesn't say anything. Mayakir Yosef Esechov, he recognizes them. They don't recognize him. He remembers his dreams. while Viv Shomar Sdobar is waiting. And each time they come to him, Vaymar Yosef, Kinichmu Rachmov, El Echov, Al Ochir rather, Bin Yoman Vai Vakesh Livkos, he wants to cry, and he runs out into his private chamber by Yov Hachard Hachadro Bayev Shoma. And he goes back to them, talks to them. Yosef was a very Tznu'ah, the first Hidden. And he waited his time. He waited until the master plan of God plays itself out. He was there. He had a lot of kashas. But he doesn't lose his cool. He shvied. He waited. When he finally went a little too far and he spoke too much, Hashem punishes him because Yosef, you're the pillar of Bitoch. That even you know, when he brought the diva of his brothers was also, he spoke too much. Well, that's why I but, Yeah, that's that correct. But in general, president. in terms of questioning God and questioning what's happening, happening to him, he never lost his school and he never went into depression. He held it in and he waited through the plan. He was patient. His brothers come. He waited everything patiently. Yosef is the pillar of Bitochan. Bitochan is Sh'tika. And Sh'tika is Kaudor. Therefore we have Lahagi Baboker Chazdechon. In the morning, with the shining dawn, like the Malach tells Yaakov, I gotta go now, release me. Shira. That's the Emunoscha, But in the darkness of night, emunah. Shtika. Shtika means emunah. Bide your time. Patience. Wait. Have faith. Have bitok. Shtika kahodo. Lahagi b'bokeh chazdecho, that's hodo, and ba leilos that's stika. The isoid of shtika is b'tochem, that's done at night. If Esau is this concept of the darkness of night, the only way to battle Esau is with his nemesis. The nemesis of Esau, therefore, is Yosef the pillar of Bitochen. Yosef's Bitochen, and Yosef that represents Shtika, is the way to battle Esav. The midah of Shtika and Bitochen, when you have many, many and questions, but you still hold it in. That's what it means now, getting back to what we said in the introductory medrash to Vayesha. It's all dark. Everything is dark. It's the low point. It's darkness, and more darkness, and more darkness. Yakov Ruve, Yosef, Yehuda—they're all mourning. Ruve, they are all mourning. Hakadosh Baruch was now creating in this darkness the light of Mashiach. The end of Bayeshav ends at a low point, but it ends at a low dark point. Comes next week's parsha, Vayehi Kates. Kates Som Lachoshech—an end was called to the darkness. Kates Som Lachoshech—an end to the darkness, and now there's light. That's what the Medrash says, that everyone else is in this darkness. HaKadosh Baruch Hu's <laughs> Oisik Mashiach is building the light, the light of Mashiach. Let's take this now, with this understanding. understand the Gemara. The Gemara Psochn, Dafnun, the second piece on the right. Hashem In the future, God will rule God will be one, and his name will be one. So the Gemara talks about what does it mean God is one? What does it mean that God is one? Is God not one in our world in Olam Azeh? Our world, Olam is different than the future world. In our world, al Tavus, you say bortoba metiv. You give thanksgiving when good things happen. Al-Basuris on bad things, you say borukh dainoemis. In Olam Habah, it's kulo ta'ob it's only Hatbah metiv, only one brach. Our world is a world of two brachas: For good things, Hatoba meitiv. For bad things, dainoemis. The next world, Olam Abba, is only one bracha. Hatova made the only good things. Or, viewed alternatively, in the next world, we're able to then see how everything is good. The essence of Leah was Hodah. She gave thanks. She gave thanks for the good things. An expression of thanks. The essence of Rachel was Shtika. Silence when you don't understand. The brach of Dayen Oemis, I don't understand. I'm giving a brach of Shtika. The brach of Dayen Oemis is a bracha of shtika. It's a bracha of silence. It's not a bracha of atov meitim. In the next world, it's only atov meitim. In this world, there are two brachas. Hashem is not totally one, because the hashgoch of Hashem is not recognized and perceived the same way. The Hashgokh of Hashem is rulership and his mastery over this world. We see in multiple ways. We see atov meitim, and we see dying lemmas. Atova metiv, ha me emes, shtika. But, says the Gemara of Mishnah Bruchas, kishem she al just as you give a broch al a kach al ra, you give a brocha on ra. Why? Because shtika, kodo, hodo is atova metiv. ha emes is shtika. kishem al ra, because, shtika khodo. Shtika If you look at all of the examples now of the Medrash, you see the same thing. Binyamin is biding his time. There's a cosmic plan. I don't understand it. I have kashas. I'm not going to say anything. Show, Sneers. Esther. The unfolding of the whole Megillah. Esther. Esther. Nine by God is hidden. I don't understand what's happening. You know what? You gotta wait 12, 13 years for the Megillah to unfold. That's how long it took. It was a 12, 13 year process. You gotta wait all those years till it all unfolds. Anochi Esther she kept silent. Rochel, I'm giving up my my sister, my adversary, I'm bringing her into my house. What is this? I don't understand. Shtika. God's plan will still unfold. Yosef's is having dreams. I don't understand. Let's wait till God's plan unfolds. I have so many kashas. I don't. You do You're wrong. What's going on over here? What's God doing to me? Wait it out. We'll see. a lot of Control. He doesn't ask. It's in Hashem. Faith in Hashem. Shtika requires emunah and bitokhin. That's the virtue of the bitokhin over. Now, Leia therefore represents Hodo to thank Hashem for good. Rochel is able to be shoisik al-ra. Leia has Hodo al-Atov, Atov ametiv. Rochel al-ra. That's shtika al-ra It's daino emes. Shtika ka-hodo, Hashem Shem Mubarakna al-Atov, Kach al in this world looks that way. In Olam Habah, everything is Hodo because everything's then understood. So Shtika is the virtue for Olam Hazer to battle Aesop, which is Amunos lelos Hoda is Olam Habah, that's Lahagi Babokhdechu, that's 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 Leah. I once saw I think from the Mikod Maylio of Desler says an interesting idea that the two wives of Yaakov one is the wife for Olam Habal and one is the wife for Olam Hazan that's what he says interesting concept the two wives of Yaakov and Yaakov saw he saw that Rochel is his mate but he was right but not. then he sees that Leah is his mate so which one was it? well ultimately we know both of them. we know that Rochel and Leah were his proper mates he didn't quite see it what did he see? He saw Rachel. Rukhul. Rachel's Olam Hazel. Rachel was beautiful. Ifas Tor, ifas Mara. Medesh points out that, yeah, he saw her beauty and he married her for her beauty. Medesh actually says that. He married her for her beauty. I mean, obviously he needs more than that as well. But there was physical, physical beauty of Olam Hazel in Rachel. Rachel was his wife for Olam Hazel. Leah, maybe not so beautiful, was his wife for Olam Habak. Who, by the way, is buried with Yaakov? It's Leah. After that, who's living with Yaakov in Olam Havah? In a sense, in this sense, Leah more than Rachel. Rachel was the wife for Olam Hazer. Leah is the wife for Olam Havah. With what we're saying now, it makes a great deal of sense. Leah is Hodah. <speaking in Hebrew> That's the world of Olam Havah. The world of Hodah, of Olam Havah. Rochel is Shtikah, that's Olam Hazel. That's in this world to battle Esau in this world, which is dark like the night. And Yaakov represented that night. Yaakov was the Choshech of night by Yeovic Ishimo Adalosa Shachar. That's Yaakov and Olam Hazel. Rochel is his mate. For that reason, Leah is buried with him for Olam Habok. Leah also is the one that created the, the spiritual components of Kalisrov. Yehuda, which is the Malchus of Mashiach ben David in Olam Habar. Levi, the Avoda, the Korbanos, the Kuhuna, it all comes from Leia. Most of the tribes come from Leia. Roy and Reuven of Kli come from Levi. Even the Malchus <laughs> of Losh and Lava, Mashiach ben David, as well as Kuhuna, and Avoda, based on English, it all comes from Levi. It's all Olam Habadig. Lost level. That's Hodah, that's Lahakibabokeh <coughs> <coughs> Hazdechah. Shalcheni kiola ha-Shachar, the man of Shira. That's Leah, that's Hodah. Rochel was the wife for all of Mazet, the Yifas Yifas Therefore she's the one that that personified and perfected the Nida of Shtika, silence which is the Mida of Bitochen in this world. That's what does battle with Asaph. Therefore, she produces a Yosef. Because Yosef is going to do battle with Asaph, with Olam Hazah, which requires the perfection of the Mida of Shtika of Bitochen. She personifies that. That's the Amud Bitochen. For that reason, Yosef is the Mashiach Ben Yosef. The one that does battle against the forces of evil and unfortunately ultimately dies. (coughs) Mashiach ben David is Olam Havba for the next world. But who supports the Jews in this world? Who's the one that supported them in Olam Havba in Egypt? In the Gauls? Who supported them in the Gauls? It was Yosef. So there were two strands of malchus that came out of Yaakov. One became the king Yosef, ultimately to be Mashiach ben Yosef. One was Yehuda, David, Ultimately, Mashiach ben David. But Yosef is the one that led them in the Gauls. In the Gauls of the Triumph. The very first Gauls was the Triumph. He sustained them. He supported them. He took care of them. He took care of their worldly needs, the Almahazen needs. He was their Mefarnus. He was the one that's also going to battle with Asaph, the opposite, the alter ego, the nemesis of Asaph. In the darkness of the Gauls, he becomes the flame. That consumes Esav. Because he has the midah of Shtika. Which is the midah of Bitochem. That's the leilos This then. Is the virtue of Shtika. In a nutshell. Shtika is Olam Hazah. The virtue of holding in. And reining yourself in. And not asking all well, your kashas. Patience. patience. Let God's plan unfold. Have Bitochem. Don't blurt out every question you have. Again, nowadays we don't think like that. You have a question, you're probing, you're critical, just say say everything you got in your mind. Unload. Blurt it out. Let it all hang out. Let all those, you go to psychiatrists, so what do they keep telling you? You're repressing too much. Shtika is repression. That's exactly what Shtika is. Shtika is not silence because you're a wimp. Shtika is not silence because you don't know anything. Shtika is when you know a lot. And you have to hold it in. That's what Bitochim is. That's the essence of Bitochim. It's when I know a lot and I have a lot of questions, it has turned into a virtue today to question and probe and criticize and have no faith, no Bitochim, no patience whatsoever. You go to the psychiatrist, don't be repressed. You have a question, speak it out. Don't let it simmer. Don't let it simmer. Yosef, let it, blurt it out after a few years in the prison already. He was a little bit, you know, and said a little too much. Two more years for that. Because you blurted it out. Two more years for that. Sometimes some things have to be left simmering. But it requires strength to let something simmer. Which is why, in that sense, the psychiatrists are right. Most people lack self control. Most people have no strength. So therefore, if they let it simmer, it comes out in an explosion. Like a volcano. You know, it's building and building and building and it explodes like a pressure cooker pressure is there, building and building and building, until finally it explodes. So yeah, the psychiatrist hit on the point, because we haven't taught anybody self-control. You teach kids uh, math and science through Sesame Street and through, you know, with no patience. There's no patience being taught, instant gratification, instant, um, you know, satisfaction, instant learning. The idea of patiently learning to both multiplication tables rather than taking out your pocket calculator and getting the answer instantly. No, you know, be a little patient. Let's first learn the multiplication table. Let's first learn. Kids can't read and write today. They can't read and write. Why? Because the, the, the process of reading and writing is an educational process that you don't see the fruits right away. I mean, I don't remember, but most of you also probably remember. When I grew up, one of the things that they taught us was to diagram sentences. Well, one of the most useless endeavors. Probably still is. I don't know. I don't know the, what, what the point of that was. But right when we grew up, you tell a kid today, a high school kid, diagram a sentence. Not that they can't diagram a sentence. He doesn't know what the word means. What does it mean to diagram a sentence? They don't teach it anymore. Because well, what's it for? What's it all about? When you teach a kid A B C, what's it for? Alevei gimel, oh ba What's it for? Teach him this. C spot. What's it for? So you go to all that school, what's it for? So the end, oh, now I understand. But if you don't have patience, and if you need instant gratification, then you don't have the patience to, to, to learn multiplication tables. So our entire generation is taught and is allowed to have instant access to whatever they want. I mean, the mouse is taking too long for the computer. It's too slow. Speed, right? They want speed, instant speed. That's what the computers are about. More megahertz, more of this instant, instant speed, instant access. Nobody has patience. Nobody has self-discipline. It requires a tremendous amount of self-discipline to have shtika, to wait, to bide your time, and to wait, and to be strategic. As a result, the psychiatrists are probably not wrong. Because if you're dealing with a generation of people that don't have this art, this virtue, of shtika, if they don't have the virtue of shtika, then they're pressure cookers. So if they let things simmer, it causes all kinds of psychological problems. But if you teach people patience, and the art of simmering, and the art of shtika, then it's not such a problem. It requires a lot of strength, a lot of strength, a lot of heroism, a lot of self-control. But if you have that, it's the greatest virtue of all. Then you could let things simmer. You don't got to blurt out. Your wife does something wrong to you. Your husband does something wrong to you. Your spouse, your children, your parents. You don't have to right away blurt out. You usually lose by it. You usually lose. Psychiatrists can tell you, no, you got to say it right away. I have something on my mind I got to unload. I have something I have to unburden myself. Or they say, I got to get it off my chest. That's what they say. I got to get it off my chest. I got to unburden. I got to unload. I got to tell you what it's it's been bothering me. What does that mean? Because it's bothering you, so you've got to make me suffer. Basically, that's what's happening. What that means, you're going to tell me something that's going to make me feel bad. But you've got to do it, because you feel bad by not telling me. So you have to inform me of something that's going to make me feel bad, simply because you're under pressure now, if you don't do it. So, a little self-control. Why do I have to feel bad, so that you should feel good? That's what it is. I'm going to unburden myself. You have to feel bad, because i got to feel good. And it's been on my mind. And i just got to let it out. I'm going to explode. You know what? It's true. If you're going to explode, if you have so little self-control that you're going to otherwise explode, I don't want you to turn into a, in, in, into a psycho. So fine. So make me feel bad. Insult me. Tell me all your problems. Insult me. That's what it's all about. It's all about insulting someone else. It, that's what it's all about. Whatever the psychologists tell you, you got to speak up. you got to say. you got to say your piece. Well, what does it mean? It means you're afraid to say something bad to someone because you're going to hurt their feelings. Don't be afraid. Hurt their feelings and say whatever you want. That's what they're telling you hurt their feelings and say whatever you want. What did Chazal say? Chazal say, A person should always be from the ones that are insulted and not the ones that are insulting others. You have to listen to your shame and you have to listen to your to your whatever and not respond. Shimi ben Yelling at him and cursing him. And he says, God told him to do it. I'm going to accept it all. So Chazal are encouraging people. Hold it in. Don't lash out. All this thing that it's healthy to talk. Healthy for who? Who is it healthy for to talk? For you. Good. If we're always thinking of you, 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 you. Then you got to talk, talk, talk. And say whatever you want. But if you even think about others. it's healthy to talk for others. Not healthy at all. They're busy arguing, fighting. That's where all the fights come from. That's where all the divorces come from. Because everybody's talking. Talk, talk, talk. Too much talk. Hal tzachayim. Yes, you're going to suffer. You're going to suffer the hal tzichayin. But at least you're not hurting others. But you got to learn the control. If you can't, you can go become a lunatic from that. So fine, you got to let out and hurt others. But it's a virtue. It's a virtue to blurt it out. It's a virtue for shtika. That's the essence of talking. God, I have so many questions. So many questions. This doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. The other thing doesn't make sense. Nothing makes sense. Avron had questions. Yaakov had questions. Yosef had questions. Aaron had questions. Rachel had questions. Shtika. Keep your questions. Wait till the answers come. You're not a smarter person by asking the questions. The guy that knows the question, you're, you're much more in control if you don't blurt it out. That's the isoid of Shtika. That's Pitochem. That's what... All of these things from Avram to Yaakov to Yosef to Rochel, to Esther to Holy Giles Esther, Haskar Astra Let it unfold. That's that's the virtue of Shtika Koido. Shtika Koido, because K'ach that's the battle of our world. The battle of our world of Olam Hazer, of darkness, that we're fighting the angel of Aesab is a battle of Bitochon. A battle of is the virtue of Shtika, of silence, of self-control. I never really—that's uh, uh, what I'm saying. That's what I'm attributing to credit. I didn't hear any of this from from the Svaran Feldman, but he made me think. You know, because I never understood this part of the medrash. The medrash calls layers, shtika okay, whatever. All of oh, a sudden, he mentioned this point that in Olam Hazeh. To fight Asob, this is from the gun. Again, I don't know which part's from the gun, which part's from him. I don't know what to attribute to who. But that's the part that I heard, that, that's what set me thinking. That in this world, you need talking against Asob, and that's what Shdika is. Bitokhel. So that So that, that's what um, you know, unfurled this entire thought process to me. As to the, then that we just connected it to the Leia and rochel. Leah being all of Hava. Rachel's Olam Hazeh, and therefore all this makes sense. That Le is Olam That's lagin baMocha Chazecha. That's Lost of as the Gemara in says, Lost of is only going to be haydo haToivametiv. Rochel, says the Michtam Milia is the wife for Olam Hazeh. That makes sense. And Munascha baLeilos. That's in this world. That's Shtika, That's against Esav. But now, from this now, but the Nissan points out how Yeshua who was also a descendant of Yosef, was the first Jewish leader in the conquest of the land of Israel. So again you have how Rachel produces a Yosef who supports them in Egypt. You then have Yeshua bringing them into the land of Israel. Until ultimately you have Mashiach ben Yosef again doing battle against Esau. But with all of that, it's ultimately Yehuda that takes over full control. That Yehuda is the, is the Generator of, the, of Malchus And he says He says, says an interesting idea like this Yosef represents A virtuous person that never sinned He has to control himself He held himself back from sinning With Ashes Potiphar Yehuda on the other hand Represents a person who sinned And does tshuva He sinned and he admitted Hodoh in the sense of admission. He said, And therefore he brings about this, this idea, this concept of tshuva. He was considered to be Reish because he admitted publicly his guilt without excuses. The first, Baal tshuva, which requires a different form of gavura, of strength. Therefore that strength and the virtue of admission requires gavura also, which is mouthless. It's interesting because we could now understand the two kinds of kingship. To be a king, you have to be heroic, you have to be strong, mighty, and powerful. But as we're saying, all power and might has to be directed at self. Directed at self. Self control. Azel Gibor Hakayim Shas Who is a Gibor? Someone that conquers his his yater. There's two ways of seeing that Gibor. One is in the shtika way, one is in the hodor way. Because this strength, the strength of is yitzchak, of self-conquest, we find two ways. We find it in two ways. One is of a hodor nature, and one is of a shtika nature. Yosef was the shtika. He had to rein himself in and not move put He wanted to, he almost did, he was almost, almost there, he didn't. He held himself back. That's shtika. And he runs out and he runs away. It's glory. It requires a lot of control, -control, self-control, self-discipline and and, and strength. That's what we said. That's the strength of Yehuda, of of Yosef. And that's why he's king. Yehuda was a different strength. It was the strength of Hodor. Admission of guilt. I sinned and I'm going to publicly say its expression. Yosef's strength was behalf It was a strength of Tznius of not doing it of withholding and not doing it. strength was a public display of yes, I was wrong and I'm publicly acknowledging it. A public acknowledgement of, of sin required tremendous strength to make that kind of hodah admission. That's Yehuda's strength. Apparently that's the strength of the hodah of kingship for Olam Habor, and Yosef is more for Olam Hazan. But again, they both displayed this kind of strength. And yes, in the modern context, we said before about the psychologists that they tell you to let it all hang out, the time when you're supposed to say things is, I was wrong. I'm wrong. I'm sorry. That's when you're supposed to speak. That's when you're supposed to express things. That's when you're supposed to talk. That's the whole door of admission that you should talk. The rest of the time, keep it under wraps. Keep it in control. Don't talk so much. Talk when I was wrong. I'm sorry. I made a mistake. That's the Hodor of of Yehuda. And that's the Shtika of Yosef. Next piece. Next piece already takes us into a a different idea. Vayeshev Yaakov, again, based on Chazal, which we didn't talk about this time, although we've mentioned it many times, that Vayeshev Yaakov, Chazal say, Vikesh Yaakov Leishet B'Shalvo. Yaakov finally wanted a little peace and serenity. And along comes this Yosef tragedy. And as Rashi brings down over here, the um, Rashi actually had the two lines from the bottom of the second column. Yosef, Tzadikim when Tzadikim want to dwell in this world with too much menucha, in this world, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, This, of course, presents a tremendous question. Everybody questions this. What does it mean? God is saying, eh, You want too much security? Listen, it's enough for you, the, the peace and serenity of Olam This world is not the place to rest. So it's such a terrible thing for a tzaddik to want a little bit of Nukha. What's so terrible? Again, the kash is asked many different ways and many different guises. Since we're not really focusing on this particular question and issue, just what he has over here, because it tells us a very important concept. So we'll just read it inside. The kash is: Is it such a thing that uh, such a bad thing in God's eyes that tzaddikim should have a little bit of both worlds? As we know, that the purpose of this world is to set the stage for the tzaddik to have the. Security and the serenity, in order to prepare for all of my war, which obviously Yaakov must have been doing also. Who says that Yaakov is wanted to luxuriate? It's for all of my war. He brings out the Ramah and Nagdama. He says like this: Vanir He says an interesting shot. The Yaakov Vinu hoyom is asik tomed Dagis daigis Yaakov was always focused on the external enemy: Esof, Lavan, Shchem, Dina, Shloyit as it says by Yeshua the this goes back to, to his birth. Even when he was in his mother's womb, he struggled with Esau. His nemesis was Aesap. all of Yaakov's life was the battle against Esau. You know what? He finally won that battle. His whole life, from the before birth, from before birth by Yesuit Saban the Kiba, there's a battle going on in the womb. At birth. He's called Yaakov. Why? Because the other Ochezes he's holding on to his heel. He's tripping him up. The 13, 14, 15, he's selling the birthright, buying the birthright. Later on, he steals the broccoli, he runs away, goes to love him, comes back, encounters Esau his whole life. His whole life was centered around the battle against Esau. Yosef is born, now I can finally leave. Battle of Esau, this so-called external enemy. And finally he wins that battle. He fights with the angel. He encounters Esau. Hashem changes his name. No longer Yaakov. You're not battling Esau anymore. Tripping him up. Israel. you won the battle. You won the battle. You're no longer fighting Esau. Israel. you won the battle. Okay. Now that he finally wins, B'yikesh Yaakov leshe b'shalva. Okay. That's it. My battle my problems in life, Bar Hashem, I finally solved them. I finally solved my main, my main adversary. I fought his Maloch. His Maloch agreed with me. Yes, your name is going to be Israel. God agrees. It's finally over. Asa makes up. He hugs me, kisses me. That's it. I finally succeeded in my lifelong pursuit and battle. At this point, Hashem <speaking in Hebrew> and He's able to rest at ease finally and secure. My my work is done. The yochel achshav l'shefes bebetan. He could finally dwell in security and peace. Umekvies lashgiachal zrochva. I could finally tend to my own affairs. Comes kofetzel of rugs or shaliyose. Comes the tragedy of Yose. K'dey l'lamdo to teach him. She calls man sheino shereis achvogemur ben dnei Israel if there isn't peace internally amongst the Jews, your work is still cut out for you. Adain Sakon, and there's a great danger. Don't think that once you've gotten rid of all your enemies, the surrounding nations, whether it's Syria, Jordan, Egypt, PLO, the Palestinians, now we can finally rest. The millennium is here. The new world order. You got a worse problem. You got a great internal danger. Fighting amongst yourselves. There's a great sakona. Your work is still cut out for you. Don't rest. It's okay. I'm home free. You're not home free. You still got a lot of work to make sure there's peace at home. And that's the greatest danger. Don't worry about the going. They won't drive us out. Hashem will protect us from the external foe from the external enemy, internal terror, internal fighting, hatred, envy, separation, factionalism, inner fighting, that goes on amongst brothers, that's going to cause goles. Ultimately, we all know that's exactly what happened. That the internal battles amongst the Jews, amongst brothers, literally, the two descendants of the original Maccabees, fighting a civil war, they brought Rome in, they brought Esav in. They bring in the Chazir, they brought Esav in. They're fighting amongst themselves, two brothers fighting amongst themselves for supremacy. And that fight brought Esav, brought Edom back in, brought Rome in. Pompeii marches to Jerusalem, takes over shrine, and that's the beginning of the end. I mean, again, that was uh, 63 BCE, so still over 100 years till, till Yushleim actually fell, but that's the beginning of the end. Who brought them in? Jewish fighting amongst themselves. That is the worst ghost. <speaking in Hebrew> Yaakov represents the third ghost, our ghost. And this ghost brought us down originally by the fighting amongst the brothers. Yosef and his brothers fight. They sell them into slavery. That's what leads them down to Egypt. The first Golas. Yaakov represents our goals. Our goals wasn't because of the Roman legions marching into Israel. It's because of the internal fight. We've never corrected this. The fight between Yosef and his brothers has never fully been, been, been um, taken care of. Has never been fully been rectified. And that's the internal enemy. That's what Chazal means. He finished with Esau, he finished with Lavan, he finished with Dina, he finished with all of his external enemies. Now, I got. I have to be relaxed, I got nothing to worry about. Yes, your house is still not in order, you have what to worry about. Take a look what happens. After all of that, Yaakov vanquishes his external foes. Now comes the internal enemy, comes the fight between Yosef and his brothers, and this leads to one catastrophe after another, one calamity after another, they're down in Egypt in goles, and Golos, from one Golos comes the other Golos, all of these Golos. Let's take a quick look at the Durasht Maisha from Rav then we'll look at the last piece of the Limu Dei Nisan. He says it with a slightly different spin. The Durasht Maisha. Perish Rashi. Mi keisha hako covers the kofzalavu k'shashal. Yo Near the devadai roitza, Hashem is brought to shalva tzadikim. Shano ol'an va'an va'an Hashem is not against a tzadik having some some peace that he quoted earlier this is teaching us a lesson about and raising children Yaakov thinks that he no longer has to worry about his children he no longer has to worry about raising children they're adults we're finally finished. We're back in Eretz Yisrael. Everything is good. So you don't have to worry about chinuch of your children. The B'chiri Hashem tzaddikay olam they were. Koftzolav rukdishal yosef. shal hazinon shelo olam. After the bond of my yosefdom. Says we're learning an important lesson that even that even your your adult children you still got to do chinuch with them. yosef tzaddikim don't think your job is over. So archoav shlo you still gotta worry about your children. I got nothing more to do spiritually to build. I could finally retiring. sit down and learn. Retiring? Yeah. And retiring means what? To sit and learn. It doesn't mean to luxuriate go on vacations. That's not what Yaakov was gonna do. I could go back to being an Ishtam Yoshe No, you got a job. You still gotta worry about your kids and you're gonna have Taurus. And let's not just finish up with the last piece. Ela told us Yaakov Yosef. As we said earlier, we discussed about the spark of Yosef destroying Edom and Esav. So we mentioned earlier with this whole thing about Shtika, why it was Yosef, and why that Mida is the one that has to fight Esav. He says here, another pshat, based on this last thing that we've been discussing. A very nice pshat. The near Elisha of We know that the hatred that Goyim have for Jews is is, is illogical, it's unreasonable. Esav of hated Yaakov. good I know everybody's gonna have to question he did this, and he did that, but in general we know that the hatred is an uncalled for hatred. Sharemid Mukhers we discussed this in previous weeks. He sold the birthright, he knew what he was doing. Loyal Bukhaira. How do you fight Esav How do you fight the hatred of the world? To do that, you yourself have to be pure. You have to be virtuous and pure from this sin The Again, I know some of you are going to ask questions, so we don't have time for that. Even Yosef, although Yosef was guilty of something else, but he never hated his brothers. He was always kind to his brothers. They hated him. He didn't hate them. Yosef and Binyomr, were the only two that didn't have any kind of this of the of the stigma of chinam. They were guilty of sinashinam as the Pose clearly demonstrates. Well the Fikach aim the as they can't fight of then. But Yosef, who always acted with brotherliness and love to his brothers from the beginning to them, he's the one to do battle against Asaf. Likewise, we mentioned earlier, we talked about Shoal. Shoal the one that battles Amalek. Mordechai and Esther, they're the ones that battle Amalek. They're the ones that battle Haman. Esau, Amalek, As well as Mashiach ben Yosef, who is supposed to battle Esau. They all came from Yosef and Ben the ones that don't have the stigma and the stain of Sinas Ultimately, that's what it means. He thought of the external enemy. Kafzal of Rogazal Yosef, the internal enemy, was the most fearful one of all, and that's what led to all of the calamities. So today's lesson is on two things. This last part was on the union of of brotherly love and and the internal enemy of, of So getting along with each other. And then we talked before about the virtues of silence of Stika Kaida that in Gauls we have to have the meter of Shtika, the virtue of of silence. Right.